The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. If you were a Jewish person during the time of Jesus, you would have been raised just like your father was and his father before him and his father before him and his father before him. You would have been raised just like the countless generations before you with an expectation. The expectation of the coming of the kingdom of God. You would have been raised as a small child to eagerly await, to eagerly anticipate the coming of the promised one, the Messiah, who would usher in and restore God's kingdom on this earth. You would have awaited a Messiah who would come and establish a kingdom with power like that of King David's. You would have awaited a a Messiah to come and to establish, to reestablish God's kingdom of Israel with prosperity like that of Solomon's. You would have expected a political revolution against the rulers of Rome. And a national restoration of Israel. And for hundreds of years, this was a Jewish person's eager expectation. And then one day, seemingly out of nowhere, this young Jewish man comes on the scene. And his opening message is, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. When Jesus uttered those words in the beginning of his ministry, as Mark records them in Mark chapter 1 verses verse 15, he was speaking to, and he was speaking uh, in this expectation that that every Jew would have had that the kingdom of God would come and that Israel would be restored. And here he says this kingdom that was eagerly expected is now here. That's Jesus' message. It is right now at hand. The thing that you've waited for in eager expectation has now come. That's, that's Jesus' message. But Jesus isn't what they expected, is he? He's not the Messiah that they eagerly anticipated After all, where is the power? Where is the power of of David? He doesn't have any political clout. He has no armies. There's not even, at this point in Mark chapter 1, there's not even any people with him. It's just him. The kingdom of God is, is here. And where is the prosperity of that like Solomon's? I mean, this... This 30-year-old Jewish carpenter, he, he doesn't even have his own home. 
How's he going to restore Israel to its rightful place? How's he going to usher in this political revolution against Rome and go about reestablishing here the kingdom of God and the power of David and the prosperity of Solomon? How is this man going to usher in this new kingdom that the Jews believed would eventually bring the restoration of Israel. But what Jesus has in mind for the kingdom of God is the restoration of the whole world. How's this man going to do it? Well, that's what these parables are about. The establishment of the kingdom of God How God goes about establishing his kingdom. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And for these Jews, it was not what they were expecting. As a matter of fact, they would be surprised. Surprised by the mysterious source and surprised by the mysterious size. That's Jesus' message here in these parables, these two parables in Mark chapter 4 of what the kingdom of God is like. A surprise, a surprise by its mysterious source and a surprise by its mysterious size. Verse 26, this mysterious source of the kingdom of God. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus chooses in his description of the kingdom of God a familiar image, that of a farmer scattering seed on the ground. It's, it's familiar because we, we all, um, even though we don't really live in an agrarian society, we all understand this imagery of a, of a farmer planting a field. It would be familiar to them because they would have seen it firsthand. But it's also familiar because Jesus is building on these parables that he's already given, right? He's already said the kingdom of God is, is, is like a sower who goes out to sow seeds. So Jesus has already used this imagery to describe the heart of the hearer. This is the parable of the soils. It was just a few weeks ago. I know it feels like we've been in Mark chapter 4 for two months. That's because we've been in Mark chapter 4 for two months. This is familiar to them. But the focus here isn't on the soils as it was before. The focus here is on the the seed. The farmer would have a, a bag slung over his shoulder and he would reach in with his hand and grab seed and scatter seed onto the ground. And that is it. That is all the farmer would do. He scatters and Jesus says he sleeps. Jesus says it this way, he sleeps and rises night and day. Now, that sounds weird to us. 
shouldn't it be like day and night, day and night, day and night, but not for the Jew. For the Jew, the day begins at sunset. It's night and then day, night and then day, night and then day. He sleeps and rises, sleeps and rises. He scatters the seed and then he goes to sleep. And then one day, the seed sprouts and it grows. And look at what Jesus says about this, this farmer, this sower of the seed. He knows not how. He knows not how. The farmer cannot cause the seed to sprout or form new life. He, he cannot do it. All the farmer can do is drop the seed on the ground. That is it. He sows and sleeps. And then mysteriously, that tiny seed begins to sprout. The farmer can't cause the seed to sprout. The farmer can't cause new life to form. He doesn't even understand all that's happening. Now, we, in our day, we have a technology and scientific understanding that they would not have in, in their day. Right? And so we, we can understand um, partly everything that happens in germination and how a, a seed can sprout. But we don't see it with our eyes, do we? The farmer doesn't see all that's happening below the surface with his eyes. For him, it looks like nothing is happening day after day, night after night, until at one point the seed begins to grow. It, it sprouts. Jesus says that the earth produces by itself. The earth produces by itself. The word used here is a, firm, a form of the word automatic. That it just automatically happens. That God has put into the seed everything that needs to be there to bring forth new life. And it just automatically happens. The sower is not involved in the mysterious process of this dormant seed being transformed into a living plant. That's Jesus' point here. That there is a mysterious source at work. And that source is found in the seed itself. It's not found in the farmer. It's not found in the soil. It's found in the seed. The germinating power is in the seed. And so Jesus is giving us this illustration of how God comes and reigns in the heart of a person. This is how the kingdom of God works, Jesus says. It works just like a farmer who goes out to sow his seed and then goes to sleep and he, he sleeps and rises, sleeps and rises and he goes out one day and all of a sudden things begin to, to move, things begin to grow. This is how the kingdom of God works. Now remember, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who goes out to sow the seed. So how does the kingdom of God, how does the reign of God come? It comes through the sowing of the seed. 
It comes through the seed doing the work. That's how the kingdom of God comes. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. The sower, no part in the growth, but gets to be a part of the harvest. kingdom of God comes through the seed doing its work. Now, we've already heard and come to understand because of Jesus' previous parables what the seed is. The seed is the word of God. Mark 4, verse 14, the sower sows the word. The mysterious source of the kingdom of God is the word of God. That's Jesus' point here in this parable, that it is the word of God that does the work. Now, this would have been Crazy to a Jewish person. Because what did they eagerly anticipate? They eagerly anticipated a Messiah who would come and would, through his actions, bring about a a social and a political and a religious reformation that takes place that reestablishes the rule and the reign of Israel here on the earth. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And what is the kingdom of God like? It's like a seed that's planted and grows The kingdom of God comes through the work of the words of God. Some of the hearers, the word of God, will respond to the gospel. We know them now in Mark chapter 4 as those who are the good soil. And they will hear and they will respond in saving faith and they will exhibit spiritual life. And this regeneration and spiritual transformation is the work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. This is John chapter 3 as Jesus is having a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. John 3, starting in verse 1. Now there was a a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from and where it goes. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. 
You see Jesus here talking about how we enter into the kingdom of God by being born again. And how we are born again, not by the works of of human hands, not by human will, not by human ingenuity. Paul says in Romans, it depends not then on, on human will. It depends on the Spirit's work. And Jesus says this work of the Spirit to bring about the kingdom of God in the hearts of people as they are born again, it happens mysteriously. And Jesus uses this this play on words for, for spirit, which is breath or wind. You don't know where the wind comes from. You don't know where the wind's going. It's mysterious. It blows where it wants to blow. In the same way a seed is planted into the ground and it is mysterious. Everything that's happening and taking place and it depends not on human will. It depends on the word doing the work. The point of this parable is simple. In the same way that the farmer is not the power behind the regeneration of the seed, so also the evangelist is not the power behind the regeneration of souls. The power is in the seed, and the seed is the word of God. What Jesus is teaching us is that the kingdom of God is a God-brought miracle, not a product of human effort or ingenuity. Here's what that means for us. It means, and hear me, the word of God is enough. Amen. It's all we need. If we desire for God's kingdom to come, for God's reign to be established in the hearts of people, the word of God is enough. The word of God alone has the power to bring men, women, and children into the kingdom of God. Human effort doesn't do it. Ingenuity, creativity, emotional experiences, manipulations, these don't produce real lasting results. Only the word of God does. They may draw a crowd. But a crowd is not the kingdom. As I read this, as I think of it, I think, why in the world would we put our trust in anything else? Why would we put our trust in anything else? Why would we have anything else as the focus of our lives, as the focus of our gatherings, as the the focus of our church? If it's the word of God, Jesus says, that does the work, and the farmer knows not how, then why would we trust and lean on anything else? What we see in in this verse is the reason why we do things the way that we do them, because we try to the best of our ability to let the word of God be the one that does the work. I am well aware that our worship gatherings are different than most every other church. 
I don't know another church that sings a song and stops and reads part of a chapter and sings a song and stops and reads another part of the chapter and sings a song and stops and reads another part of the chapter. I know a whole lot of churches that are very concerned about smooth transitions so you don't break up the chill bumps happening in people. Because music, while it is great and it is made by God, and we are called to use it to worship God. It does not do the work. That's right. The word of God does the work. Amen. The word of God does the work. Why would we put our trust in anything else? What that means, church, is that we can, as a church, stand in great confidence. Because the word of God does the work. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. That is a promise from God. His word works. His word works. And as long as we boldly and rightly proclaim the word of God, we can do so with confidence. And guess what we can do? We can sleep and rise and sleep and rise and sleep and rise and trust the word of God to do the work. The word is enough. The word is the mysterious source of the kingdom of God. I've been reminded in recent months of how God's word is our consistent, our constant truth. And I've been reminded that because I have felt frustrated because it feels like I, I can't know the truth. I can't believe anything. Anybody else feel that way? Like I can't believe anything, everything Everything has an agenda. Everything. And I think, I can't, well, how do we know what to do? I mean, here we are trying to lead a church through a, through a pandemic and know what's the right thing to do. And, and Jacob and Terry and I are sitting around going, if we knew what the truth was, we'd know what to do. But we don't know what the truth is. We don't know what the truth is. We've heard our whole lives there's no such thing as UFO. Meanwhile, the CIA's got proof of UFOs. <laughs> What's the truth? And it can be frustrating and it can be disheartening every day to wake up and feel like we're just swimming in a sea of bias and the twisting of the truth. But isn't it good just to be reminded we can every day come to one thing that is the consistent truth, not one word, a mistruth? This can be trusted. It can be trusted in its 
truthfulness and it can be trusted in its ability to do the work of God and bring in the kingdom of God. The word works on its own. This was Paul's message. 1 Corinthians 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who brought the growth. It was God who brought the growth. This is the mysterious source. Not a charismatic leader, not a politician, not an earthly king. The word of God is God's means for bringing the people of God into the kingdom of God. It's God's word. It's his message. The kingdom of God is like a farmer who went out to sow his seed and went to sleep. And it sprang forth and he knew not how. But he got to, by God's grace, find joy when the harvest comes. It's the mysterious source. Then Jesus tells another parable of the mysterious size of the kingdom of God. Verse 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. What is the kingdom of God like, Jesus says? The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. A small, unimpressive seed. Jesus says it's the smallest of all seeds. Now, there's a lot of people who have an agenda to disprove the word of God that will come and say, look, right here, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Because a mustard seed's not the smallest of seeds. There are seeds that are smaller than a mustard seed. I read somewhere that a tulip seed is smaller than a mustard seed. But here's the reality. This was the smallest seed they knew of. What good would it have done to Jesus to, to, to mention a seed that they didn't know? He couldn't have made a point. This is the smallest seed they know of, the mustard seed. And so Jesus chooses to use the mustard seed. And then other people say, well, he, he talked about how it grows larger than all the other plants. Well, we know that's not true. A, a seed can grow into a, a, a giant cedar like in Lebanon. Well, Jesus doesn't say that, does he? He says this largest of the garden plants. Because he knows what he's talking about. Like a mustard seed, a small, unimpressive seed. But once it's sown into the ground, that smallest of seed becomes larger than, than all of the garden plants. You see, Jesus' point was self-evident. Though at the moment, as Jesus is here teaching in Mark 4, the kingdom of God was small. Right? It's just Jesus and a, and a few disciples. And, and these disciples, they don't even get it yet. The kingdom of God is small. Yet it would eventually grow to encompass the whole world. I mean, think of the growth. Think of the growth from Mark chapter 1. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. From that to... Every nation on the earth. From this one Jewish man to bringing the word of God to 
thousands of languages now having access to the word of God. Think of the growth. Jesus' point is the kingdom of God cannot be stopped. Verse 32, yet when it is sown, it grows and becomes larger than all the garden plants. And it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. That's, that's, you know, we understand that language, but I don't know that, that any of us would, would speak in that language of a plant, you know, a plant growing large enough for the birds of the air come to make a nest in its shade. But for a Jew, they would have understood this language. This was, was common Old Testament imagery and it's, it's imagery dis- used to describe nations. That nations would grow up and they would grow so powerful and they would grow so large that their, their reach would reach out and it would bring blessing to the nations around them. That's, that's the imagery of the Old Testament. And it's also used in... In reference to God's judgment. That though you may be large enough for the birds of the air to come and and roost in your branches, you can be cut down. Jesus here is using it to illustrate that God's kingdom is unstoppable. And though it might have humble beginnings, though it might have small beginnings, innocuous beginnings, when the seed begins to work, when the word of God begins to work, the growth is exponential. The size of this thing is mysterious. See, for a Jew, the size of the kingdom of God extends only to the into the bloodline. Like if you're not Jewish, you're not in. But Jesus' plans, God's plans for the kingdom of God is so much more than that. It's so much greater than that to encompass and to include even the Gentiles. Every tongue, every tribe, every nation getting to experience the blessings of God and the kingdom of God kingdom of God is unstoppable. God will accomplish his purposes. What initially looked like nothing would ultimately triumph. That's Jesus' parable and it does so by the inherent power in the seed, in the word of God. So, church... What do we do? If this is what we can know about the word of God, is this, or the, the kingdom of God, is this, if this is what Jesus wants to teach us about the kingdom of God, then what do we do? Two things. The first is we trust in the self-producing power of the word. We put our trust in the word of God. The kingdom of God comes where the word of God is sown. 
and we put our trust there. That means we trust every word of the word of God. We preach and we teach every word, the word of God. We obey every word of the word of God. That's all we need. That's all we need. Church, we don't have to have all the other things. We don't have to have those things. And I'm not saying that that ministries and programs are not good. They can be good, but they can also be bad when they become a substitute for the Word of God. When our trust is in those things and not in the Word of God. We trust in the self-producing power of the Word. Here's what that means for you. That means for you... Though you may not feel like you know enough or are smart enough or charismatic enough or creative enough or brave enough to, to share the word of God with a neighbor or a co-worker or a friend or a family member, you can rest assured that the power is not in you. God doesn't need you to be all those things. All God needs is his word. It does the work. It does the work. Church, what do we do? We trust in the self-producing power of the word. And if that means we've got to make hard decisions, then we make hard decisions. If that means we've got to go against the culture, then that means we go against the culture. If that means that we got to to give up some things that are comfortable, then we give up some things that are comfortable because we trust in the self-producing power of the word. I'm so grateful for this. Man, this means that I, I don't have to be the greatest preacher in the world. I don't have to be the greatest orator. I don't have to have uh, the, the greatest persuasive speech. And I can mispronounce words and fumble around all I've got to do is preach the word and let the word do the work that's the first thing we do we trust in the self-producing power of the word and the second thing we do is we rest in the confidence of the unstoppable kingdom of God and we can go to sleep and we can sleep well Kind of hard to sleep well, isn't it? As we're watching what's happening around us and the chaos, the confusion that's happening around us, it's it's disturbing. But we can rest assured that God's kingdom is growing, God's kingdom is working. God's kingdom will not be stopped. There is no promise anywhere that the United States of America will last forever. Because it will not. But God's kingdom will remain. God's kingdom will come. God's kingdom is unstoppable. And so we can rest in the confidence 
of his unstoppable kingdom. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like a sower who goes out and sows a seed. And it's just a tiny little mustard seed. And yet one day, and he didn't know how, and it just happens, that mustard seed grows and grows and grows and reproduces and reproduces and grows and grows and grows and grows and grows. grows. This is the kingdom of God. This is how the kingdom of God comes. The rule and the reign of God in the hearts of men and women and children. That means we can think of that that person we know. That it seems like there's absolutely no hope. There's absolutely no chance. There's four feet of concrete around that guy's heart. It's never happening. The kingdom of God works. The word of God works. We trust. We rest. We sleep. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.